Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Oh, America. All right, I started the episode. Sophie... I mean, you could have done worse. Yeah, yeah, I've heard, America. I've heard you start. I've heard Look, you start. Wait, you, you, we all love America, and so let's celebrate it, Andrew. Of all, of all, of all of the countries that are America, which one is your favorite, and why is it ancient Rome? <laughs> wait, I, I, there was a bobble, just a tiny bobble in your audio. So I'm, I missed the middle of it. Wait, what is he said of all the countries that are America? Uh huh. Which, which, which is, is my favorite, favorite? And why is it why ancient Rome? Rome? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's. I mean, honestly, so far it's got to be um, just the the sword control bills. Mm-hmm. In- I do, I do love the sword control bills. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is I, very funny. Um, I guess it is a little tricky, too, because living at a time, if you go back to part one, when y- it's like weapons of war are banned, but weapons of war includes things like horses. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. A, a weapon of war is like a sharp piece of metal in this period <laughs> yeah. of time and not really much deadlier than like a big heavy stick. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's it, it, yeah, it, it is. It is different. Like, again, <laughs> these are you can also find fun articles about people talking about ancient Roman like weapons limitation laws and people trying to make comparisons to assault weapons. And it's like, well, 
It doesn't really work very far. <laughs> Among other things, number one, people support assault weapons bans in the United States generally because of like massacres of schools and malls and stuff. And the Romans supported a ban on the carrying of weapons within the Pimerium because they were trying to stop armed mobs from taking political power. <laughs> right, it was right, not about right. stop. Rome, ancient Romans did literally nothing to stop murders. <laughs> there were not police. You did not, like, if you committed a murder, there was no, like, unless you killed a famous rich person, there was nobody to, like, do, like, they didn't give a shit. Um... <laughs> Again, people died constantly, right? Like you, we just talked about that lady who had twelve kids and three of them made it to adulthood. Like they didn't, they did, they <laughs> right, would right. not have banned, they would not have banned assault weapons if the 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 worry were that civilians were getting murdered. They banned <laughs> right, weapons right, right. carrying because they didn't want people to take over the government. <laughs> um, sort of, yeah, the almost exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally like the opposite reasoning. It was not to protect life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that was absolutely no one's concern in ancient <laughs> Rome. <laughs> so after the assassination of Tiberius Gracchus, things got worse very quickly for our Roman friends. Now Tiberius was not yet thirty when he died. I think he might have been in the twenty. He might have been like Cobain, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Kurt Cobain and Tiberius Gracchus, two socialist yeah. kings. By the time, by the time you're in your thirties, you should have been assassinated. For, <laughs> assassinated for, for trying culture, to reform the land bill. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Um, now Tiberius. Yeah. So he's, he's a young and he's got this younger brother who we talked about a little bit in the first episode, Gaius, who's like just starting to be an adult when his older brother gets murdered. Now you can find a bunch of writing from historians at the time about Gaius. And it's all the same sort of like hagiographic shit about how cool he was and, how like he loved his soldiers when he becomes a trip. He becomes like a, the equivalent of like a Lieutenant or something when he's like 17, like all of these people do. And he's right. He's supposed to be good at that. And eventually he winds up getting elected tribune. Like his brother had been, um, he has to break his law to get elected, break the law to get elected. He has to like actually desert the army, but he talks his way out of getting in trouble for it. Um, because again, a lot of Roman law is just like, well, we're pretty sure, our ancestors wouldn't have liked it if this happened, but he, he talks his way out of it. Um, so his brother's reforms had been passed after he was murdered, but they'd been kind of kneecapped by patricians. So they pass a land reform bill and then they spend the next couple of years like taking yeah. back everything that they'd given to poor people pretty much. So Gaius starts pushing for a bunch of like really pretty radical reforms at the time. Uh, he wants to give more public land to the poor. He wants to hand out free grain. He wants to set up a state dole so that the poor aren't reliant upon like rich people as clients who can then tell mm -hmm. them who to vote in order to like survive. Uh, he wants to provide public funding for military equipment so that poor people can be in the army. Um, he wants to raise the draft age and he wants to make everyone in Italy a Roman citizen, which really pisses off the the rich and powerful people in Rome. Um, and he's he's politically successful in a lot of this. He actually gets the Senate to send money back to conquered nations because he thinks that, like, Rome's being unfair to the places they conquer, which is, <laughs> like, kind of a wild thing to succeed at getting the Senate to do. So this makes him as popular among the people who had murdered his brother as you might expect. <laughs> now. Right. Plutarch describes the changes Gaius is trying to push in the Roman government uh, as changing it from aristocratical to democratical. 
And perhaps he would have succeeded given time, but he made the mistake of leaving Rome to found a colony in Libya, which gives his enemies the opportunity to slander him to voters. And when he returns, he gets attacked in the street by a mob and the majority of people fail to come to his aid. Like nobody comes to protect him when this group of like hired thugs comes to murder him and he gets beaten to death and his head is stuck on a spear and brought to the Senate. They throw his corpse into a river. They love throwing corpses in rivers, the Romans, Um, (laughs) which is a bad idea. By the way, if you're going to kill, if you're gonna, if your political movement is going to massacre a bunch of people, don't throw their bodies in the river. You need that water. Yeah. Especially, you know, in pre, uh, pre water treatment plant times. Yeah, if you want to, my my famous favorite meme, the the one from Predator with the two, the 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 black guy and the and the, and yeah, the white yeah. guy like clasping hands, it's gonna be like ancient Rome, the Aztecs throwing all of their corpses <laughs> into the river. <laughs> um, so whether or not you want to see the brothers Gracchi as they become known to the ages as the first socialists or as precursors to Donald Trump, this brief period of time in the spotlight they have makes one thing very clear. The ruling class in Rome is willing to break any rule and violate any norm to keep the money flowing and maintain their shocking rate of wealth accumulation. From this point on in the Republic's history, the rich only get richer and the poor tend to get poorer. But once it becomes clear that it's okay to murder political rabble-rousers and their supporters to keep them from redistributing land, it becomes increasingly hard to argue that there aren't a lot of other political things that are worth doing a murder over. And so people start murdering over everything. Um, And while Rome and politics is getting a lot more murdery, in 113 BC, this huge migration of barbarians, they're generally called Germans, but like, they're not actually... Germans, but whatever they're they're the Germans. Right. They they sweep down from central central ish Europe and they start invading Italy. Now the Romans do what they always do, which is they put together this this army, twenty thousand men, and they march out to stop them. And you know Nancy Pelosi's in charge again, so the army gets wiped out, <laughs> just just absolutely massacred. <laughs> so. The Roman state, which had never meaningfully reformed public lands or fixed the problems the Gracchi had railed against, can't really replace the lost men. But thankfully, they have a guy on hand, a military leader, a dude named Gaius Marius, who he's been elected consul a couple of times at this point, and he's co-leading a military campaign elsewhere in the empire. And it just so happens that this guy, Marius, is like... Yeah, like top 10 military minds in like all of history. Like if you're if you're ranking like all of the like he's up there with like Subatai and shit. Like he's he's very, very good at being an a, a military leader. And he's gonna be the guy who reforms the Roman military. So the Roman army that you've seen in any movie with like Romans, where they all have that mm-hmm. like segmented armor and like, you know, you've got the, the legions with the big shields and the swords and the hat. He invents that. Before him, it's a very different looking army. They have like different classes. They've got guys with spear. It's, it's very different right. military. He, I mean, it's it's like everyone, because everyone bought their own shit. So it's... Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so he reforms the military and he also, he, he basically succeeds in making the state pay for it. So for the first time, um, you've got uh, regular people. They're called the proletarii. Uh, or pro, uh, proletarii. Yeah, proletarii, something like that. Um, the poorest people are in the military. And he start, it's very controversial what he's doing, but there's a, 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 a disaster happening at the time. They're getting their asses kicked by these these barbarians. So he's like, look, we have to, we have to recruit from poor people and arm them at the state's expense. Um, 
And this works out really, really well. Um, and Marius is, as, as he's a brilliant military leader, he's also a really good politician. He's good at winning elections and, and exercising power and building coalitions. But he's also, he's not really a patrician. He He's he's a rich guy, but he's kind of a rich country guy. So everyone, can, all of the patricians, he's a redneck, right? He doesn't speak yeah. Greek, right? He, he can't even fucking speak Greek. So they like, they hate his ass. <laughs> like there's a little bit, actually a little bit of their reaction to him that is kind of Trumpy and that like you've got this like entrenched political class who just doesn't like the way he talks. Right, like, I right, think right. it's kind of gross. But also he's super popular among regular people because number one, <laughs> He's like massively improving their lives because along with letting them be in the army, he makes it so that if you're in the army, you get a bunch of land after you retire, right? Like you get like, th this land that we're conquering, we're going to give it to soldiers. So instead of coming home to a farm that has been taken from you, you come home and you get given a farm by a the fresh state, farm. you know, yeah. and that's like a pretty cool deal um, for the time. So to make a long story short, he, uh, he wins this war um, and he becomes such a hero that he is styled the third founder of Rome. Um, like to, to the, if you want to talk about the degree to which he wins this war against these barbarians, if I'm remembering properly, they basically create a new God of death that's made in him, his image because of how many of them he kills. Like it's, it's that it's, he's like that. It's like that kind of war. All right. Um, so he becomes like known as the third founder of Rome, which is, you know, most like he's, he's a, a big part of who's like pushing that title for himself. Right. Cause he's, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Good branding. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's absolutely a populist. And in fact, he draws a movement towards to him who become known as the populares, um, which is, I think it's pretty obvious what that means. <laughs> and they're, they're opposed by the optimates who are like the rich people who want to reduce the political power of the plebes. Um, eventually all of this leads to a nasty civil war between Marius and his old lieutenant a patrician politician named sulla now sulla is like the he, number one i it, it has to be said he is like the queerest dude in ancient rome um and mm -hmm. very open about it he is a fun fucking guy like read it with like <laughs> sulla is a is a neat character um and he he is just like this like very like it, it, some people will say sadistic definitely mass murderer very very good general and he and fucking marius have this like series of horrific battles. They have this massive civil war and it just bleed, it wipes out like a generation of Italian men because they're both really good. Neither of them are Pelosi types. They're both actually good at having armies. Um, so they just massacre each other. Now, Marius loses at first and he has to flee to Africa, but then he reinvades Italy and he conquers Rome and he massacres all of Sulla's followers in the city. But then he dies because he's like Joe Biden age. And so uh -huh. Sulla comes back and he kills all of Marius's followers, including like there's like 8,000 Italians, members of this tribe elsewhere in Italy who Marius was trying to give political rights to because there's this big fight over whether or not Italians should be Roman citizens. And he just mm -hmm. genocides. Sulla just does a genocide on these people. He stabs 8,000 people to death, right, which is Jesus. a lot of people to stab to death when you think about it. <laughs> Um, very rarely do that many people get stabbed to death in a short period of time. It, it really is that like, you know, it's so, I, I know yeah. that obviously our brains are numb to like the numbers mm -hmm. of war and like what, what like mm -hmm. automatic weapons and like, you know, modern bombs can do. Yeah. And it is really like swords. This is yeah. swords. This is swords. It is, it is swords and sharpened sticks and like arrows, which are basically sharpened sticks. Um, so Sulla just kills fucking everybody he can get his hands on. 
um, who are his enemy. And then he's dictator. He makes himself dictator, which is a political position in Rome, right? Yeah. Dictator previously is like, it's a, you have, it's a job you have for like six months a year. He makes himself dictator for however long he wants to be. But after a while, he gives up the job and he retires to his mansion to fuck a bunch of hot dudes. So is that's a pretty fun character. <laughs> I mean, as far as like, I'm the dictator, but you yeah. know what? I'm I'm like re- I'm tired. Retire- I'm gonna go fuck retiring guys. from dictator is like a pretty amazing. Yeah. That's like no yeah. one does that. Like he's a monster. These guys are all monsters, but he's a pretty entertaining monster. <laughs> so there's a number of cool side effects to Sola massacring all of Marius's guys. Number one, all of the people who were like populares who are like populist plebeian supporting like folks who are on Marius' side, they either get murdered or they have to flee the city. And one of these people who has to flee Rome and like hide somewhere else is a dude you might have heard of named Julius Caesar, right? Mm -hmm. He's one of Marius's buds. So another thing that happens is that under Sulla, the plebs are stripped of all po- political power. The, that like position, tribune of the plebs, that had caused so much trouble with the they that that doesn't exist anymore for a while. It comes back. They regain the power, pretty a lot of the power they'd had in like the decades after Sulla leaves. Um, but they lose basically all political power for a while. Um, and the last thing that happens is that all of the people Sulla murders have their and he's like he's he's like a Stalin type figure with his murdering. He makes a list. Like there's like a list and and you get a bounty if you like kill or bring in somebody who's like on his list. You get like a chunk of their stuff. Um, And so some people get really good at murdering or tracking down or are hiring people to murder folks on that list. And so they get a bunch of their stuff. Um, And he's like, so again, if you help him kill his political enemies, he'll give you their shit. And by hook or by crook, a lot of the property of people who had been supporters of Marius winds up in the hands of a guy named Marcus Licinius Crassus, who is the Elon Musk of ancient Rome. He is the wealthiest man in the world. Um, And he's also not he's like Musk, not just because he's the richest guy in the world, but he's also a some would say a trailblazing innovator. Right now, (laughs) Musk's great innovations are PayPal, which is banking, but slightly less regulated. And uh, and that car company Crassus's innovation is he starts the first firefighting brigade in Roman history. Right. People have been obviously fighting fires for forever because it's a horrible problem, right? Right, Like a terrible, terrible problem in ancient Rome. Um, But he's the first guy who builds like an actual professional fire brigade. Now, these guys are all slaves, um, and the fire brigade is a for-profit endeavor. So what happens is when your house is on fire, Crassus's guys will show up and be like, that seems like a real problem you got. (laughs) Sell us your house for like basically nothing, and we'll put the fire out. Um, so he gets real rich doing this, right? He makes so much fucking money. Um, it is hard to convert old Roman currency to modern dollars, but he's like a billionaire, right? He's a multi-billionaire for all intents and purposes. He's got like Elon Musk money, right? Right. Um, he is so rich that a few decades later, he's going to buy an army of 40,000 men to invade Iran. Um, it doesn't work out for him. Uh, it, it, it ends really badly, but he's part of this like tradition of like now rich guys can buy an army if they want. Right, to. right, right. Yeah, because they, basically what they're doing is like I'm going to donate this money to the state in order to buy this army because I think we need to be at war with these people. Um, in Crassus's case, they get their asses kicked very badly, and he gets killed by having molten gold throat poured down his throat, which is pretty oh, sweet. Shit. Yeah, no, it's a dope. It's a dope punishment because the the Parthians who are like basically Iranian um, are like. Uh, 
hey, you're the richest man in the world. You know what would be a fun way to murder you is to make you drown in your own molten gold. Oh, <laughs> We're going to like melt down your money and, and kill you with it, which is rad and should be done more often in history. Yeah. Like, like today, for example. Um, now it's just pouring molten NFTs down their throats That's right, or whatever. that's right. Yeah. They do not have the same panache. <laughs> So Crassus is one of these Roman politicians that most people have probably heard about. He's famously, he's part of this triumvirate that runs things for a while at the tail end of the Republic. The other two guys in the triumvirate are Julius Caesar, who everybody knows, and then Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus, or or simply Pompey the Great. Um, now, I'm not going to, first off, I should note, he's called Pompey the Great because that is the nickname he gives himself. <laughs> but he, 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 he Basically, he's like, Pompey's whole strategy was he would go... Rome would be at a war somewhere and some political guy who was good at fighting the war would almost win it. And then Pompey, because he was good at politics and rich, would like buy his way into taking over the army and then he'd finish the war and then he'd be like, look at this big victory I won. Guess I get another big fancy day marching through the city. And um, so like he gets that he he gets voted the name Pompey the Great effectively because like the other senators are making fun of him because they're like, like, <laughs> like, like it's like it's a it's a it's like kind of a mocking nickname to most people because like, like we a, all know you're like, kind of full of shit. He's like an executive producer yeah. of the wars. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He's he's an EP. Um, he, he actually kind of is like, I mean, in a number of ways, he's like the he's like the. Um, the 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 Weinstein of military <laughs> history, right? Um, yeah, um, Julius Caesar's the Ben Affleck. I'm not going to explain it. <laughs> so I'm not going to like rehash all of this period in Roman history. Save to say that like the fact that three guys wind up basically in charge of all government policy is is not a, a good step in towards like a more republican form of government, right? <laughs> So what doesn't talk and get talked about enough, because this is the thing everybody talks about is like the triumvirate and Pompey and Caesar and Crassus and stuff. This is like most of what people know about the Roman Republic is this tail end period. What doesn't get talked about enough is how shit actually got done on the ground. Um, because in the 80 or so years since the brothers Gracchi, Roman politics had turned into a constant low-level gang war. And again, you've got these big mobs of clients. So like after it becomes common to kill people for political purposes, senators and elected officials won't travel through town without like a bunch of their guys with them, right? So part of your job as clients, like at least, you know, the chunk of clients you have who are like veterans who are like big tough guys, you get your vets and your boxers and stuff. And anytime you go through town to take care of business, you have like 50 or 100 guys with weapons, like your guys following you to like to watch your back, right? Because now people get murdered all the time because they propose bills. Um, And one of the things this means is that pretty regularly you'll get these groups of like senators and elected officials and like their goons and they'll just murder each other in the street there will be these gang wars between like members of congress it, it is it's literally like if fucking like mitch mcconnell and nancy pelosi right had like bands of men with like sharpened sticks wailing <laughs> in each other in like washington um which would be a better system than we have now don't oh, get me wrong well, now it's like a cold war version yeah, of that yeah yeah Oh, yeah. So like and a lot of one of the actually the most popular weapons is like ceiling tiles. Like it, that's if you really want to kill somebody, you get some dudes up on a roof to just start hucking ceiling tiles down on them. That'll kill a motherfucker fast. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that so makes sense. Yeah, I mean that's how yeah, it's a good way to kill people. Um, so the most successful of these gangsters, because another thing that happens is that like, yeah, Senator, you've got like your mobs of clients, but like a guy who's professionally building a a a mob of armed people to get into street fights is always gonna be better than just some politician who has his like yeah. his like toadies following him. So you get these professional gangsters who build political mobs to street fight on behalf of different sides of the big Roman political divide, right? And the most successful of these gangsters is a guy named Claudius. Now, Claudius is another rich kid. Um, his family had sided with Sulla during the last civil war, which is like, you know, that's the, the aristocracy side. But Claudius didn't follow in the footsteps of his father, who'd been elected consul. Instead, he starts to develop a reputation as the kind of guy who can get things done in a dark alley. In 63 BC, a senator named Catiline tries to overthrow the government and massacre all of the elected leaders of Rome and assume control in a coup, kind of tries to make himself dictator again like Sulla had. And while this is all going on, this is a complicated story, but while there's this like coup attempt, Claudius, because he's kind of a young strapping dude, he volunteers to act as bodyguard for the consuls, for the elected leaders Catalina is trying to kill. And when all the dust has settled, he's become one of the guys you go to in Rome when you need a gang of thugs to protect you or somebody else, right? He kind of like he's kind of like building a private security firm. Like that's right. literally what, like really what this is. It's like you can hire Claudius and he's got like fucking goons who will watch your fucking back and they're good at it. Um, yeah. Now, there's water. A, yeah. Just, it's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's a lot of ground to cover here and I'm not going to give Claudius his due because he's a fascinating guy, but I would be doing everyone a disservice if I didn't read you this one excerpt from his backstory. And I'm going to, uh, this is coming from a write-up in headstuff.org. Quote, the cult of Bonadea, the good goddess, is somewhat of an anomaly in classical Rome. Rather than the standard gods with a priesthood and open worship, the good goddess was worshipped in a less formal fashion, similar to the Greek mystery cults. The celebrations of Bonadea were not of the city's normal ecclesiastical rites, and in fact they predated the earliest recorded history of the city. Even her name was a secret, known only to women and never recorded. She did have a temple where only women were permitted entry, and every year on the first day of May they would hold a sacred celebration in this temple. This was one of two such celebrations held throughout the year, but the second, in December, was not held in the temple. Instead, it was hosted by the wife of the chief magistrate, with the aid of Rome's sacred vestal virgins. The year the chief magistrate was Rome's high priest, Gaius Julius Caesar. Quite why Claudius decided to infiltrate the Bonadea festivities in 62 BC is a mystery. The main rumor at the time was that he did it in an attempt to seduce the hostess, Caesar's wife Pompeia. The more likely reason is that he did it in an attempt to win some credit with Rome's bohemian set and set himself up as an iconoclast. Whatever it was, he disguised himself as a woman and slipped into the house. Unfortunately for him, Caesar's mother Aurelia was there, determined to make sure that things went smoothly, and she immediately noticed this unusually tall and heavily cloaked woman. The right of Bonadea was such a rare opportunity for Roman women to throw off the shackles of propriety, and as such, masking your identity like that was very unusual. Aurelia had a servant girl follow Claudius, and she immediately noticed when he let his voice slip. She called him out on it, and he fled the scene. Though he was not definitively identified, everyone knew it was Claudius. The public outrage at his conduct, stoked by his brother-in-law, led him to be formally charged with the sacrilege the following year. The punishment for a man who witnessed the mysteries of the good goddess was to be blinded. <laughs> just cloud show shit it is, it is and it's as a fun note caesar divorces his wife after this not because she'd done anything but because the fact that this guy was maybe trying to fuck her means that people might suspect she'd done something and caesar's wife has to be above suspicion 
Oh my god. He well, just wanted a divorce. Like these guys are all <laughs> Again, the cool thing about ancient Romans is like you could num- among uh, number one, you could make an incredible fucking like uh like soap opera show that's just about yeah, the lives yeah. of all these people. They are like uh the just just all very Every one of these fucking people that we've talked about would have had a reality show if TV was right, right, right. Like C- yeah. Caesar, Caesar almost basically did kind of have the equivalent of the reality show. So one of the things that he's doing, he and and he kind of comes to power later in life. He doesn't have a lot of money, um, so he has to work with Crassus and stuff. But when he gets his military command of Gaul, number one, it's kind of because he's so old and hasn't really distinguished himself politically. It's kind of like. If Pete Buttigieg suddenly got elected <laughs> supreme commander of the of the U.S. military, and then and then conquered the entire Middle East in five years, right? right? right like right. if like that, but it's kind because of, that's what Caesar does. Is he like he's kind of a joke? He's this like silly asshole that everybody's like laughing at, and then he conquers all of Western Europe. Robert, I'm just like. <laughs> It is. I mean, like he's got, not to compare them because Pete Buttigieg is useless and Julius Caesar is very smart. But one of the things Caesar does while he is conquering again all of fucking Europe, like he, right. he like he's his and his men are his forces are regularly outnumbered four and five to one by some accounts even more than that. Like he, he's an incredibly competent military leader. While he's doing this, he's writing every day about what he's doing and then sending his diary back to Rome to be published and read out to people in the city. So he right. is turning his life into the the equivalent at the time of a reality show to build a legend around himself and to make himself into a, a popular figure. Like he's kind of doing the Trump thing too, where it's like, yeah, I've yeah. got this, I've got the most popular show in town. Everybody shows up to listen to the latest pages of Caesar's diary mm-hmm. being read. Yeah, he's tweeting. Um, I mean, it hell, he's you got to do both, I guess. But yeah, yeah, he's, he's very, very savvy this, guy. All this, yeah, yeah, military victory. So Claudius goes to trial as to whether or not he's going to get blinded for like sneaking into these <laughs> these women's rights, um, and he he doesn't get blinded, um, but only because Caesar and Crassus back him and they bribe the jury to acquit him. And prior to this, he'd kind of been on the optimate side of things politically, but he's now like a populare because. Caesar and Crassus, you know, um, and this is kind of the start of his his life as a creature of Caesar and Crassus. Uh, in 59 BC, he runs for election as Tribune of the Plebes. Now, as we've talked about, this is the veto job, and it's very important. But also, it's the Tribune of the Plebes. You can't have this job if you're a patrician, which Claudius is. So right. he pays a guy who is four years younger than him to adopt him as his son. <laughs> <laughs> like he pays a poor man who's younger than him uh, to adopt him as his son and make him a plebeian. And then he changes his name from C-L-A-U-D-I-U-S to C-L-O-D-I-U-S. I mean, it's <laughs> slightly different in Latin, but like he basically changes it to a different spelling of Claudius <laughs> to symbolize that like now I'm a commoner. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the ben- the main benefit, number one, he can veto shit, which since the Gracchi, that's become like the thing you do. If you get a tribune on your side, you can just stonewall everything. It's like the uh, the filibuster, right? Yeah. Like you can stop anything just, from happening. You can just, yeah. Yeah, that's ultimate he, power. Ultimately. He, makes, he makes himself into the Joe Mansion. But the other thing is that like, because all of Roman politics is, de- is determined via street fights, <laughs> if you kill the tribune of the plebes, any like tribunes are sacrosanct. They're sacred when they're holding office. So if you kill one, you are immediately put to death. 
So he basically gains like a force field for himself mm-hmm. in the street. So he's like Joe Manchin in that he can shut down politics, but also now he's got like the, if you touch me in a street fight, you get murdered. Right. <laughs> like it's a force field. Um, again, they it's a better system than we have, I think. <laughs> so eventually the Optimates get their own street fighter um, who is even better than Claudius at building a gang of violent people to murder <laughs> folks for political purposes. And this is this gangster named Milo who is also pretty fucking rad. Um, Milo is a is a hoot. So these two send their goons to beat and murder people organizing for the other sides. Um, assassinations and street fights grow to become like a daily occurrence. There's basically a low-level gang war at all times all throughout the city of Rome. And you never know if you're going to get caught up in between these mobs of like armed young thugs just like murdering people in the streets. Um, now, these two street gangs each kind of like represent a different political block, but they also represent there's two angry young dudes who hate each other in charge of them. So it's it's very much both like <laughs> a political proxy fight and also just a street fight between like two gangs real, that yeah, hate each yeah. other. Yeah. <laughs> it all comes to a head in 52 BC when Milo murders Claudius after beating him in a street fight. And this is a, a real problem. Um, now, I bet some people are wondering at this point as we talk about all of this going on. Where the fuck are the police in this, right? Because <laughs> like, at this point in Roman history, there's like a million, there's close to a million people in the city of Rome. It doesn't really hit a million until I guess the first century AD, but there's like probably six, 700,000 or more people living in the city at this point, which is there will be no city in Eurasia with a population that's similar in size until the 1800s, right? right? And yeah, this yeah. is like 50 BC, you know? Um, so Rome is able to get that big because it's very modern in a lot of ways. There's sewers. A lot of homes have central heating. Um, they have running water. Um, but one hallmark of modern life that Rome lacked was anything that vaguely resembled law enforcement. And I want to quote from a write-up from Dr. Linda Ellis here. Though the government could usually cope with major disorders, personal violence plagued the city. Under the Republic, the police powers of the government were rudimentary, with few officials and limited staff trying to maintain some semblance of order. So if you committed a crime in Rome, like treason or fucking in the money, with the money that was serious, you would get punished, right? Some high up elected official would like send guys after you, right? Usually these were like guys known as lictors who are like, basically if you have political office that comes with any kind of power, you get these dudes who hang around you and they carry these things called fascists, which are like a bundle of sticks with an ax tied to them, which is where we get the word fascism. Mm-hmm. And you can send them to do things and they basically ha- can speak with like the power that you have. It's, it's a way of being like, well, you know, if I'm actually running this empire, I might need to be making yeah. things happen in more than one place. It's sort so of like, like send Secret some guys. Service was a little more proactive. Kind of, but instead of like protecting you, their job is mainly to go and like tell people to do things on your behalf. So yeah, you, yeah. you can, if like somebody does some serious treason, there's the ability to kind of enforce the law against them, but there's not cops. And so like if if a popular or a wealthy guy like murders somebody, they're not going to get punished unless like the person they murder has more money than them right, and like right, friends right. who like arrange a mob to like go and fight his supporters. <laughs> Um, and property crime is not really a crime. It's a civil matter. 
Uh, as Dr. Linda Ellis writes, quote, when the average citizen of Rome became a victim of crime, he had to rely on his neighbors and relatives for help. Roman nobility could also call up a mob of clients to do battle for them. In rural areas of Italy, the situation was worse, and landowners hired armed bands to protect themselves and intimidate their enemies. There were even a few private armies of thugs at Rome. Self-help was always the main way to deal with criminals in ancient Rome, and there was no concept of public prosecution, so fi- victims of crime or their families had to organize and manage pro- the prosecution themselves. So... It's kind of everybody doing the gang shit at this point, which is, you know, we'll talk about how it works because in some ways it works better than what's going to come next. And in some ways it doesn't, but this, again, it is worth noting that like, this is the system that like a million people live under in the densest city in the modern world. Um, and they, they mostly figure their shit out. Now, as we know, in 49 BCE, the tensions between the optimates and the populares that had been settled in the streets turn into open war, right? You get, you get your Caesar. He crosses the Rubicon, which is a river. He fights this big war with his old friend Pompey, and, and Caesar wins, right? Uh, and then he gets the shit stabbed out of him. And then there's another horrible civil war between the people who had killed Caesar and this kid who's related to him, who he kind of like makes his inheritor named Augustus. And Augustus wins this civil war and he winds up as the emperor, right? This is the history everybody knows. This is like the most right. famous period of all of Roman history. Cleopatra's in the mix for a while. <laughs> then she's not. Yeah. So These are the characters I've heard of. Yes. Yeah. We are, we are now at the point in history everyone knows about. And we're going to talk about what Augustus does to deal with the fact that like when he takes power, everyone has just gone through like 150 straight years of constant assassinations and like street fights and three different civil wars that had all killed significant fractions of the male populace of the Roman empire. Um, and they're kind of tired of it. People like are not happy with the status quo. They're like, you know what? We're okay. Not having any political power. If you can stop everyone from murdering everyone all the time. So that's, that's what, what Augustus comes to power with. Right. Um, and speaking of murdering everyone, you know, who's going to murder you. (laughs) <laughs> the podcast uh, the sponsors of our podcast oh yeah they'll kill your ass that's true they will sophie they'll kill your ass that's their promise that i no i don't i didn't see that in the ad copy or the promo codes okay well promo code a man is coming to attack you in the night with a knife no yeah well that sounds like a difference of opinion The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at FisherHomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Finance provided by Victory Mortgage LLC NMLS 461249 Equal Housing Lender Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles Experience the music and her story Know this I ain't no Spice Girl Like never before That's my daughter That's my Amy On the big screen I want to be remembered just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Ah, uh, we're back. I want to I wanna note one thing real quick here. So we're, we're recording this like the day after the FBI raided Trump's house, which is <laughs> a, a very funny moment. Everybody's still enjoying it. You will be listening to this in the future when um the entirety yeah, yeah who yeah, knows yeah. what's gonna happen next yeah gettysburg two and three have already happened by the yeah. time you've heard this yes there, there are no people left in virginia um yeah it's it's a nightmare but anyway so the the like right after that happened you get all these right-wing like media leaders and thought leaders started like saying shit about like now the war is on like <laughs> uh, get ready to fight fucking steven crowder being like tomorrow we go to war <laughs> My favorite quote that one of these shitheads came put out is this guy, Jesse Kelly, who is, according to his Twitter, host of the nationally syndicated Jesse Kelly show, host of <laughs> I'm Right. Um, and yeah, he's that part's uh, true, I guess. some sort of anti-communist I, piece of shit. He's got like I, half a million followers on Twitter. So he's yeah, not I, think, I think he's a Fox News guy. Yeah, that pretty, seems pretty right. Sure. So his post, when everybody's yeah. like Fed posting on Maine after Trump gets raided, is... Do not quote laws to men with swords attributed to Pompey Magnus. Now, he likes this because, number one, they all fetishize weapons as doing things that weapons don't, which is provide on their own some sort of autonomy. Weapons are useless without organization as anything but like tools of either personal violence or uh, 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 bullshittery. But the other thing that he's doing is like, this is like the, the you can't govern us because we have we have we're armed, right? Like that's right. the thing that he's saying here. The funny thing about this, number one, Pompey Magnus, as we've just covered, was a gigantic fraud. Like <laughs> literally like bullshat his way into like repeated military commands and stuff. He's the same as like, I don't know, those Republicans who like get up on stage and do a bunch of push ups to show that they're big right, men right, and right. like pose yeah. with a gun or, or and what Clint or whatever. Eastwood running the yeah, NRA. exactly. Like, exactly. Right, yeah. It's like that sort of bullshit. Um, but the other thing that's funny about this is that during the civil war with Caesar, Pompey gets his ass kicked because again, Caesar's really good at fighting wars and Pompey is a gigantic fraud. Um, and he gets captured by Ptolemy, who's the leader of Egypt at the time, who's like, um, allied with Caesar. And while he's being sent like as a prisoner to Caesar, Ptolemy has by some accounts, a 15 year old boy stab him to death and cut his head (laughs) off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, they, and then they stick it on a spear and parade it through town. So Jesse Kelly, that may not be the guy to hark to as like your your hero of like it kind of is militant that, resistance. that's like the appropriate right wing. Yeah, like politician. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, giant fraud who starts a fight and then gets murdered. Um, very yes. funny. So Augustus is the emperor, right? Um, and everyone is very tired of political violence because it has just gone on way too fucking long, right? And this is, again, actually, it's not entirely wrong to kind of think about the political power that has kind of been gained. Not that these are too similar, but like the, the political power that has accrued, especially in the last few years, around gun control as a result of like exhaustion at the constant spread of massacres. It's not entirely different because the, all these people in Rome, they've had a lot, most of them have lost family in these fucking fights. It's this constant drumbeat of violence and these constant series of civil wars and they're just like fucking exhausted. And so the uh, one of the reasons Augustus is able to take and hold power is that he promises and delivers, I'm going to put a stop to that shit. Right. Well, you're right. not going to have to deal with this anymore. And that is a pretty enticing thing for people at this point in Roman history. Um, now, different leaders had attempted to deal with Roman mob violence prior to Augustus. When Pompey took over the city during the Civil War, he had brought his armed soldiers into Rome, crossing the Pomerium illegally in order to restore order and put an end to lawlessness. And while Pompey had let his soldiers violate sacred law by taking weapons into the city, he had banned the private ownership of weaponry within the city, which happened several times in Roman history and never actually happens, right? Right. Because, right, right. Again, it's it's pretty easy. You could just like take a chair leg, right? Like it's not hard. To, it's not like when the weapons we're talking about. You can't right. really ban because people are just like making like sharp. Oh yeah, shit, I mean you, you know? need knives. Yeah, to exactly. Function. Yeah, yeah, and people are going to have roof tiles that you can huck at folks. You <laughs> right, know, right. Um, slings are not hard to make. A leather glove w- glove with like metal. Anyway, it's not hard. <laughs> so. When Augustus takes power, though, he expands the ban on private ownership of weaponry. Uh, He bans the carrying of arms during assemblies or judicial proceedings. Um, And eventually he passes a law known as the Lex Julia Divi, um, which makes it illegal to carry weapons for any reason in the empire outside of hunting or personal protection when you're traveling between cities, right? Um, So in addition to this, he establishes the first police force, the first police force of any kind anywhere in the Western world. Now, different regimes had all had ways of like dealing with dissent or cracking down on stuff. There had been stuff that was kind of policey. The Spartans have essentially their version of like a fugitive slave patrol and stuff. Um, But what Augustus builds is very different. Among other things, it is a permanent armed force in the city of Rome itself, which had never happened before, right? And so this is part of one of the things that makes Rome has always kind of been ungovernable. And so this is, as ugly as it gets, it's also a check to the power of the the aristocracy because they can never hold too much power because at any moment, the mob could get angry and just murder everyone because there's way too many of them. And there's no army in Rome to stop them, right? So it's just like, how big are your gangs? Are they bigger than everyone else in the city? No, they're not. So you can't do certain things. Now, he, because the, the police force he builds, their primary job is not stopping crime or investigating murders, they're riot cops, right? right? That's what he puts into the city. He calls them urban cohorts because like cohort is a military unit, right? Kind of broadly equivalent to like, I don't know, a battalion almost um, in modern military terms. These urban cohorts are military units commanded and organized similarly to the regular military legions, which operate under the military chain of command. They are militarized police, and their job is to put down riots, to corral the power of the mob, and to make street combat and coups basically impossible. 
Um, again, they don't handle petty crime. Uh, they don't do anything if your home is invaded or if like your kids murdered or whatever. So they're they're the same as cops today. Actually, there's there's a lot of similarities right, right, right. between them, and they're heavily mil- again. They're, they're, these are militarized police. Now, this is like the urban cohorts are like the daytime cops, and then there's nighttime law enforcement. Part of what they're doing is law enforcement. Um, they're called card the vigils, which is where we get the word vigilante, even though. They're not really vigilantes. Um, and the vigils are initially just a fire brigade. They're made up of freedmen who knew how to fight fires, and their job is to like be distributed through the city so that when a fire starts, you can get a team of guys there to try to stop it, right? Because again, the biggest thing that Romans have to worry with on a day-to-day basis is fire. Um, so because like while you're, I'm actually just going to quote from Dr. Linda Ellis here to talk about like how, what these guys do evolves over time. At first, the vigils functioned primarily as a firefighting force, since the main threat to cities then and now was destruction by uncontrolled fire. They were equipped with water pumps, buckets, and axes for breaking down the doors of houses on fire or suspected of being a fire risk. Artillery was used to shoot dampening materials onto fires and to create the fire breaks by leveling buildings. The vigils patrolled the city at night and had the right of entry into private homes, which put them in the position of witnessing crime and taking on the role of policemen, from capturing thieves, returning runaway slaves, to maintaining public order. So they have the right to go into your home because you, we have to be able to make sure you're not starting a fire that you can't keep or that like a fire hasn't started, that you haven't right. fallen asleep or whatever, and like your your house is burning down. But because of this, now we're allowed to do no-knock raids on your house if we think it might be a fire. What if we see a crime? We have to have the ability to like prosecute a crime too. And so they kind of become cops because they have the ability to bust into anybody's house for any reason. Um so this oh, is so it's so interesting that that yeah. like that characteristic begets the job and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. It is really interesting, right? Because it's very because de- uh, our police. It's, it's not how I would yeah. have assumed that, but it no, makes sense. It's no. like that power creates the yeah. fucking thugs that it, become police. It, it, and it's interesting because like in in our system, our police who are thugs came out of fugitive slave patrols, which were yeah. just a worse kind of thug. In this case, the police come out of an absolutely necessary job. You're going to have a fucking million people in a city in zero-ass BC. You need professional firefighters, right? Otherwise, it's just suicide. But kind of in you get how this like evolves and then they become cops because like, well, this guy's breaking the law. What am I supposed to do? Are we supposed to just let this happen? Um, You know, it's interesting. Yeah, it is really different, though, from what you would expect. Um, So the birth of this, and this is, this is a fairly advanced law enforcement force, right? Like, if you're thinking about what's around at the time, you've got, these are, like, at any given time, thousands upon thousands of heavily armed men. Like, the vigils have artillery. They have catapults and shit, which they use to fight fires, but which can also be turned to, like, fight riots. Which, by the way, I would have loved to watch these guys fight a fire, because I want to see people, like, stop a fire with a fucking catapult. Um, It's pretty cool shit. But... So one of the things that this does is you've got this advanced law enforcement force. You've disarmed the city. The only people with weapons are these cops. One of the things that this makes a hell of a lot easier is the state can enforce unpopular laws. Now you think back to Lucretia, right? Romans get rid of their first or their last king because like there's this stupid ass law and he does like his son does a horrible thing, rapes somebody and the stupid ass law leads to an even worse situation and everybody's really angry about it. And because the mob is the mob, they are able to like kick the king out and that's how the Republic starts. That's not going to be possible 
Nothing like that is anymore. Um, because now you have riot cops in the city. Um, so it's really easy for the state to force people to accept laws that are unpopular. A good example of this. During the reign of Nero, the mayor, basically, of Rome is murdered by one of his slaves. Now, they can't figure out who did it, right? They don't know which slave. They just know it was one of the people he owns in his household. But he's got hundreds, I think by this guy might have had a, like, like a thousand or more, like a shitload of slaves, like a fucking small town worth of slaves. Now, under Roman law, if you can't figure out which specific slave did it, you have to execute the entire household, every man, woman, and child, and a lot of these slaves are kids who lives with this guy. Um, now, everyone in Rome, when this happens, is fucking horrified by this. And in fact, stuff like this had happened in the past, and it had provoked riots, which had often stopped this sort of justice from being carried out in full, right? Because people, Romans, they don't think slaves are like less human, right? They have less rights due to what they believe is a pretty natural political condition, but they're still horrified at the thought of you're going to kill like 500 people because like one of them is a murderer and like you're going to murder a bunch of kids. Like that's fucked up. My dad was a slave. My grandpa was a slave. Like I don't think this is right. And in the past, Romans attempting to, like Roman leaders attempting to carry out these laws in order to maintain the status quo would have had to like fuck up a bunch of people to do it. Um, but, and, and would have been put at risk by doing it, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, by the time Nero is in power, the vigils on the oven, urban cohorts are professionalized. They're very good at stopping dissent. And so a huge show of force is sent out by the police state as the Romans move in to execute these slaves. Uh, as English historian P.K.B. Reynolds wrote in his 1928 paper on ancient Roman policing, quote, the law was upheld, however, on this occasion, but elaborate police precautions were necessary when the sentence was to be carried out. So because they have this powerful police force, the mob cannot act to stop an injustice, right? Because they just get the shit murdered out of them by the cops. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. Reynolds, this is a very fascinating paper. I recommend reading it if you're interested in a ancient Rome. Right after talking about how the birth of policing made it possible to massacre all of these kids, uh, he goes on to write that, quote, it is not really going too far to say that in the matter of police services, it was not until the beginning of the 19th century that the cities of Europe regained the standards of civilization which had existed in the Roman Empire 1800 years before. It right. took us 2,000 years almost to get back to having cops who could make this kind of thing possible. What, a, what an achievement. Yeah, yeah, it's the pinnacle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so right. It's like like the mob rule, or the, the not mob rule, but like the ability of mobs to mm -hmm. enact like some sort of, or like put it to... You know, and to act as a check against like state yeah. power and the power yeah. of the rich. Ideally, you know? yeah, that's jury nullification and, now. But yeah, like, and again, everybody, especially when you, because I, I made the probable mistake of like bringing up you know guns and assault weapons and and, and that debate in this. Whenever we, we want to like talk about ancient shit and like apply it to a modern terms, there's a desire to have like a simple answer, and there just isn't because like yeah, constant mob warfare was really bad. Yeah. The establishment of a police state was also really bad. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I think it is, I think there are things to learn about this, about like the dangers and, and whatnot of different political things that you can do. But it, 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 I think it is fundamentally silly to like try to draw too direct a line. Yeah, again, yeah. This is 2000 years ago. But it is like, it is worth noting that like, okay, you give up the ability of the people to check the state's power. And then yeah. 
so the state can enforce much less. And that is something that is worth noting. Yeah, and, well, that, and that that's again, how constant that is, gang warfare is good either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it is like like this is how apartheid states, like the one yes. we currently live in, get yes. like you know we are currently ruled by a racist white nationalist minority, yeah. mm-hmm. and they are able to do. But you know. Yeah, it's hard to know if the alternative is better. Yeah, I, it, it's just it's it's just worth talking about this history without trying to like. And so yeah. this is why you should vote this way on this law yeah, two thousand yeah. years later. Like, like let's right. just talk about. Yeah, um, again, I am not trying to like. I'm really not trying to just make like a coy <laughs> political point. I just think it's actually worth studying this if you want to think about the problems inherent to a. Uh, uh, society. Like, right. it's just good to know this stuff. So of course. <laughs> You're not just going to stop people from objecting to tyranny because you have a bunch of armed thugs who can crack heads in the street. You're going to also need a secret police force, right? Obviously, you know? Right. Um, And Augustus actually established two secret police forces. Now, one is kind of informal. Basically, because you have this pretty big empire and you have all these military units spread around you have like a supply service right who needs to like take messages from like oh these guys up in fucking france or these guys all the way down in jerusalem have like uh you know they need more of spears they need more shields and like i've got to take that information i got to get it to this guy i got to get you have like supply runners and they're literally like riding horses and like physically moving around cities to carry messages and so naturally he turns these guys who are called called frumentarii into a secret service, right? Into like his his spies because they're traveling everywhere and nobody pays much attention to them. Um, so they're a, a pretty good pick to act as like your, hey, you can keep an eye on things. Tell me if like unrest is boiling up. You can be a spy basically because you have the ability to go anywhere, you know? Um, Reynolds writes, quote, the Emperor Hadrian, we are told, knew all secrets through the Frumentarii, and as the empire became more despotic, so the activities of the Frumentarii multiplied. In the persecutions of the Christians, it was the Frumentarii who searched men out and who effected arrests. Probably, too, the soldier who guarded St. Paul was a Frumentarius. And if the emperor desired the speedy removal of a prominent noble against whom it might be dangerous to proceed openly, the Frumentarii were employed to carry out the deed. In fact, they performed all the dirty work that has always fallen to the lot of the secret police in an absolute despotism. They were so efficient in their work that they incurred universal hatred. An historian of the third century complains that they tyrannize over us, and later writer bitterly calls them a pestilent crew. And in another passage, the plague of the Roman world. In response to this general odium, the emperor Diocletian disbanded them at the end of the third century, but their duties were far too important for the emperors to be able to dispense with their services, and a new corps was soon enrolled, specially designed as a secret police. Police. This new force blew, uh, bore the curious title of Agents for Affairs, which was sufficiently vague to cover their manifold activities. But the agents were soon no better than their predecessors, and as early as the middle of the 4th century, the Emperor Julian had had to reprove their corruption, and soon they had just as bad a name as the Frumentarii. Oh. So, yeah, that's pretty that, cool. That's a pretty cool bit of history right there. There's just no way, right. I guess I, the lesson, of course, is like that kind of power necessarily creates... Yeah. These fucking evil people. Yeah, only bad people want that job and they do bad things when they get it. It's also worth, like, again, you go back to the Gracchi when some rich people want to kill a guy. They just have to fucking hire up and murder him in the street and everybody knows what's happened, right? It's real fucking clear what goes down. And because of how much they've pissed people off, they have to, like, give people a bunch of what they had asked for and stuff, even though they murdered the guy. Now, you just have one of these fucking spooks kill him. 
right? Like now you've got like the the emperor's fucking spooks. He can kill him and nobody's allowed to talk about it or ask about it. It's not obvious what's happened, you know? Um, So the last and most powerful police agency in ancient Rome were the Praetorian Guard. In some way, these guys are the evolution of mobs of armed supporters who tried to to protect Tiberius Gracchus and the gangs run by Milo and Claudius. You know, during the civil wars, all of these guys who are fighting each other had like units of bodyguards that are like the toughest soldiers they've got. And Augustus had formed his into an elite military unit, which started at like 5,000 men and eventually becomes like 9,000 guys. And these were during the civil war, just like his shock troops, right? But they become his like elite riot force, right? Because the urban cohorts are just 3,000 men. Um, and the legions are rarely in Italy. So the Praetorians are always the strongest armed force near the center of power. So Augustus keeps like two thirds of them in the city of Rome, ready to crack heads when heads need cracking. And he sends a third of them elsewhere in the Italian peninsula to like garrison different hotspots. Uh, and they, they basically act as like secret police, you know, like reporting right. back to him, making sure no one in the military, some of them take up jobs in the, in the military and stuff in order to like be able to report back on what's going on. Uh, and in the words of historian Guy de Berriere, quote, minimize the impression that he depended on them. Instead, the guard depended on Augustus. No emperor meant no jobs and no special status. Because these guys get a shitload of extra money for doing what they're doing, right? They're paid very, very well in order to keep the emperor in power. So guard officers also occupied roles in the urban cohorts, uh, and undercover Praetorians could pop up anywhere. So they're like a mix between the FBI and the Secret Service. Right. They could also be used to assassinate political rivals. But as Guy points out, quote, this state of affairs was reliant upon the emperor having enough prestige and power to contain the guard. Augustus had created potentially the most dangerous institution the Roman world had ever seen. In his monumental The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Edward Gibbon described this brilliantly. By thus introducing the Praetorian Guards, as it were, into the palace and the senate, the emperors taught them to perceive their own strength and the weakness of the civil government, to view the vices of their masters with familiar contempt, and to lay aside that reverential awe which distance only and mystery can preserve towards an imaginary power. And this luxurious idleness of an opulent city, their pride was nourished by the sense of their irresistible weight, nor was it possible to conceal from them that the person of the sovereign, the authority of the senate, the public treasure, and the seat of empire were all in their hands. So eventually these guys start to start come out as like I serve at the like I'm here to protect the emperor. I only have my position because of him. They realize eventually like, well, a lot of these emperors are incompetent. The Senate's a bunch of corrupt, rich, lazy assholes. We have the only weapons, right? We have the capital and the only weapons. Why don't we just run things? (laughs) Right. Um Yeah. So as time goes on, all the different law enforcement arms of Roman society kind of realize that their powers have made them unstoppable bandits. And that's what they become. Uh, As Dr. Ellis writes, quote, the Roman police and military forces often abuse their power and status, such as property seizure, without compensation and physical violence to civilians. (laughs) The axes used by the vigils and other troops were used to break down doors and abuse people both in the street and in their own houses. The Roman offer juvenile provided a dark picture of police-soldier-civilian relations in Rome. If a civilian was beaten up by the soldiers slash police, he was better off forgetting about it, because if he complained, there would be a trial under a Centurion and in front of a jury of soldiers. No witnesses would dare come forward, otherwise they would have other soldiers exact retribution. Epictetus, a Greek philosopher at the time, advised that if a soldier wanted a mule, it was best to give it to him, because if not given, the person would have lost it anyway and would have been beaten up in the process. Now, 
We could talk about civil asset forfeiture, Andrew. <laughs> we could talk about how often cops yeah, particularly take cars from people. We're like, back. We're back to America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did it first, baby. Yeah. There is uh, no. It is like truly shocking how many yeah. things that are horrible that we are yeah. absolutely no better than. No, like they, it's all it's all the same shit, right? And it's all the same shit because when you say we are building a separate class of people who will be able to live very comfortably in order to, as long as they stop the poor from fucking with the rich, and also they're the only people who have the right to to use force in our society, they always turn out to be assholes, right? Because right. only assholes want that job, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, speaking of things only assholes want, <laughs> the products and services that support our podcast. Fact. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year. Equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. 
Ah, we're back. You, you bunch of pricks. <laughs> Sorry. What's up? I don't what's know up, why I'm, I'm so mean to, uh, to our listeners. Yeah. What's up, pricks? That's right. They deserve it. Yeah. All right. So we're talking about like the Roman police state here, which I don't think most people realize. Everyone knows like, yeah, Rome, that it became an empire. Like you assume that like it's a, a brutal autocratic dictatorship, but like it is a modern police state. And I, I want to talk about how pervasive it truly was. Dr. Ellis gives a really good job of like laying out the how heavily policed the city of Rome was. So she points out that Chicago today and her, her date is 2018, is the third most populous city in the United States with 2.7 million people and 13,500 cops-ish, right? That's Chicago more or less today. Rome at the height of the empire is a million people. They have a police force of 7,000 vigils, 3,000 urban cohorts, 1,200 cavalry attached to the urban cohorts, and roughly 6,000 praetorian guards in the city. So that's about three times as many police per capita as a heavily policed city in the United States today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a little bit mitigated by, you know, they don't, they don't have, have nearly the kind of technological yeah, power, yeah, right? They're yeah. not as centralized, you know, their purview but, isn't as wide, you know. But yeah, yes, but it yeah. is it is worth noting how heavily the city is they've gone from at the start of this a city where nobody gets to have a weapon a military type <laughs> right, right. weapon in town to a right. city that is like garrisoned by a heavy military guard at all times now the first member of the praetorian guard to attempt to take total power for himself was sehanus head of the guard under tiberius who ruled from 80 14 to 37 now sehanus was caught before he could carry out his plans and executed along with his family and tiberius actually lets the people of rome riot and murder his family and supporters um just to like give him some fun uh and the praetorian yeah, guard some steam. yeah this time the guard stay out of it like they don't defend their old leader because they're like this isn't going to go well for us the emperor is still too powerful still that's going to change in ad 41 when caligula gets murdered by officers of the praetorian guard for being a fucked up little weirdo now when caligula gets murdered by the praetorian guard there's this it's not very old like the empire and so there's still strong memories of the republic and a lot of people are like maybe we should go back to having a republic emperors seem like a bad idea but the praetorian guard is like well you don't need a praetorian guard if you've got no emperor so how about we just force you to accept an emperor of that we've picked um and they pick a guy named claudius who is a pretty interesting character himself. Um, I would like to talk more about him, but we just don't have the time. So instead, I'm going to quote from Guy de la Berriere, who writes, Claudius was declared emperor by the Praetorians, and no one, including the Senate, was in any position to argue. The Praetorians' jobs were secure. Claudius was a reluctant emperor and turned out to be a good deal more competent than his family thought him capable of. It's even possible that Claudius had been in on the plans all along. Gold and silver coins were issued welcoming the new emperor, and he them, or showing the guard welcoming the new emperor emperor and he them um and he like pays them a bunch of money it's it's unclear exactly what has happened he's a relatively good emperor but over time they stop backing because again you don't want the emperor to be any good you want him to be a figurehead for right you. and this all kind of comes to a head in 193 AD after the murder of Marcus Aurelius's son Commodus, who is the bad guy in the movie Gladiator. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> so after after Russell Crowe kills him, he's actually killed by the Praetorian Guard. Um, so in 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 previous interregnums, like the death of Nero, the Guard had generally kind of like gone with whoever has the most power and money to be the next emperor. After Commodus dies, they like go to all the rich people in Rome and they're like, hey. 
how much money are you willing to pay to be emperor? Like they literally auction off the throne of the Roman Empire to the highest bidder who winds up being some rich asshole who gets murdered two months later. He gets replaced by another guy, Septimus Severus, who this guy, uh, uh, this fucking guy, um, fires the Republican guard or the Praetorian guard finally, and he he makes a new Praetorian guard that he hopes yeah. will be less corrupt, and they immediately grow corrupt and do the same thing. Um, over the course of the empire, thirteen emperors are assassinated by the Praetorian guards. It's really like you yeah. let that you let that uh, mm-hmm. tiger into your house. Kind yeah, of. exactly. Yeah, and you know the the stuff that was in your house prior to letting the tiger in wasn't pleasant either. It's up yeah, to you whether Jesus. or not you think this was progress. But, I did. I, yeah. I'm glad you brought up uh, Gladiator because I did. I did want to pitch the idea of um, a double feature: uh, the Ridley Scott Italians screaming at each other uh, <laughs> double feature of uh, Gladiator and House of Gucci. Yeah, feels like just Italians yelling. Italians never change and neither do cops. That is that is the that message is really, of the show. Yeah, Italians and police the same 2000 years ago as they are today. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's oh, the man. story of how the Romans became a police state. And God, that is fucking genuinely very depressing. It's it's pretty fucked up. Um, you know, cow. we're condensing a lot of history here, but that's yeah. the broad sweep of it. Um, but it's, there you yeah, mm-hmm. an angle I had never really considered. But yeah, that yeah. makes tons of sense. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got this this situation of like political violence that makes everybody be like, we'll do anything to stop it. And then the thing that stops it is the establishment of a militarized police force who then take power and spend centuries <sighs> doing violence to people. But it also works for a long time. Yeah, I mean that's it, sort it, of it the works thing. for a it's long like, time. <laughs> yeah, it's never like clear enough yeah. like how bad well, this shit is until again it's too late for this because it would be easy to either be like, well, this is why no one should ever have cops because they inherently fuck everything up, or this is why people shouldn't be allowed to have weapons because you know that what happens in the Mormon Republic happens. Why? Right. But if you're trying mm-hmm. to find though, either of those easy answers, either this is why everyone should be armed. This is why everyone should be disarmed. This yeah. is why we should have cops. This is why we shouldn't have cops. Well, both of these systems lasted like 500 years and conquered the entire world. So. Yeah. It's like three. <laughs> we just, there's not enough data and the window yeah. is always, it's, it's just like, it's, you know, there's stuff yeah. to take out of this for the future, but don't try not to take too much. Cause again, both of these, as as silly and fucked up as everything is, both of these systems on a historic level work really fucking well, yeah. right? Like that is they, kind of the end conquered, conquered the world. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, probably the main thing is that just sort of tells you it's just that part of it is irrelevant. Yeah, there's other stuff going on, <laughs> military things and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, maybe not entirely because like, I guess pr- partly like the fact that Roman politics is in the Republican period is so like cutthroat means that a lot of the people who wind up in charge after a certain point are like pretty canny sons of bitches. Yeah. But also some really dumb sons of bitches wind up in power and they fuck everything up and like destroy the Roman middle class. So yeah, I don't know. There's actually not as many clear lessons from history as you want there to be when you look at the history. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so each one's only been done once. That's the whole point of history. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's that's the story of how Rome became a police state. So, oh. Andrew, you have any pluggables for us at the end here? 
yeah. Let's see. Um, I guess mostly, um, yeah, doing two shows uh, with my podcast, Yo, Is This Racist? Uh, I'm going to be in a place called Austin on August Ooh. 20th and then Brooklyn on September 10th. So, yeah, I'd love cool. to see folks if you've. If you've enjoyed listening to me be horrified as Robert tells me stuff, <laughs> then I will be a little more proactive on stage, but I'm going to tell you not that much more proactive. Excellent. All right. Well, <laughs> Thanks for having go, me. go find Andrew in Austin and go find Jesus in your hearts. And by Ooh. Jesus, I mean the Jesus Christ of podcasting. <laughs> you? Me. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yes. Hear it in your ears. That's mm-hmm. right. Sophie oh, hates God. it when I compare myself to you. You're gonna be you're gonna be yeah, crucified I, soon. I really yeah. hate it by the frumentarii. Yeah, it's <laughs> not my favorite thing. Anyways, <laughs> see you next week. Bye. Bye. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website coolzonemedia.com or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.